This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello again, disaster divas. It is I, Jordan Cruciola. And it's me, Amanda Smith. <laughs> and it's it's me. It's, it's just me. I briefly was like, I, should I do I? I've been doing I. Should I switch it up? And then I just, at the last moment, I wussed out. Um, but also I'm trying to contain my excitement. So it's yeah. a real, real mix of emotions happening. So that's, exactly. a legitimate, that's a legitimate feeling because as today, it's one of those big days. Divas, you know that when we are able to have a guest on the pod, it's very special and exciting. And today is really a, a pinnacle guest experience uh, because we have, a, we have a guest in the room with us. Guest, why don't you introduce yourself to the people and tell us why we are gathered here today to discuss Jurassic Park? Sure. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Dustin. Um, I am the Internet's foremost non-paleontological dinosaur expert, uh, and we're here because we're going to talk about the greatest cinematic achievement in the history of cinema, uh, Jurassic Park. And if you don't already believe that, I don't know why you're listening right now. Yeah, oh, no, that's absolutely If you don't true. believe it, you're going to believe it by the end of this podcast. Yes. Yeah, yeah. By sheer force of will. They, we're not going to convince you. We're going to will you into it. <laughs> so who, which of you would like to, would like to uh, give us the obviously very necessary summary of what Jurassic Park is about. I'm gonna let the guests cut the turkey here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, what is Jurassic Park about? Jurassic Park is a tale of human and scientific hubris. No, well, I mean, it is, but I think and most importantly- we will get to that. What? And we will get to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think at its core, it is a fun adventure, somewhat disaster movie, uh, exploring what would happen if we were to actually recreate genetically clone and bring back to life a group of animals that hasn't been alive for over 66 million years and then throw them in an amusement park right away uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and go to it yeah not like not really a scientific endeavor but like a capitalistic let's put them in an amusement park uh and sell tickets kind of way which i'm sure we'll get to is maybe that is the fatal flaw now that i think about it that's a very <laughs> that's a very good point actually i didn't i like just considering that specific word of right away yeah, we're not yeah, even yeah. gonna. We're not gonna do like we're gonna raise them, and we'll do that for a little while in isolation. But first things first, publicly open amusement park. That, right. Oh yeah, yeah. No, nothing, like, no runway leading up to that. No, no. It's like when they clone that uh, sheep dolly. It's like instead of cloning one sheep, it's like we're gonna clone an entire farm <laughs> right away, just right out the gate. Yeah, and make and it a petting zoo. Gonna, yeah, and yeah, then and we're gonna have to be a petting zoo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we're gonna throw kids at them. Yeah. So that's yeah, that is so Jurassic Park exactly, and uh, we have our three character, our three main characters, uh, Doctor Alan Grant, who ha is a crotchety middle aged man who doesn't want children, doesn't like children. Sam his Neil, the tremendous Sam Neill. Oh, love Sam Neill in this, uh, not with his original accent, but it slips through occasionally if you're listening close enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you've got Dr. Ellie Sattler, who is a paleobotanist and also his work partner and life partner. You've got Dr. Ian Malcolm. Also who a lesbian icon and the all-time bar-setting screen scientist, as far as I'm concerned. 
Agreed. A hundred percent. I mean, I don't know about, I can't attest to lesbian icon, but queer icon, much- queer icon, Dr. Ellie Sattler. And also honestly, queer icon, Laura Dern. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, yes. Laura Dern, that I can't, having seen now the uh, independent awards. Yes. Laura Dern is apparently a big queer icon, <laughs> but I will say that her, much like how Helen Hunt's field wardrobe completely uh, inspired my field wardrobe in, yeah. in college. Uh, I definitely also had many moments where I was like, could I tuck this button down shirt into my pants and look yeah. just as good as Ellie Sattler while, <laughs> while taking strike and dip angles? And I was like, no, no, I cannot. <laughs> I look a lot more like a queer icon than she does uh, <laughs> when I'm out in my field gear. It's not, not a good look for me. Um, and then you've got Dr. Ian Malcolm, who is Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum. He might just be Jeff Goldblum. Yeah with an alias. We don't actually, we have no definitive proof that Ian is a different person than Jeff Goldblum. He might be the same. Yeah. Well, and the is Richard Attenborough. Yeah. Like we have Richard fucking Attenborough in this, which is a tremendous just nod to everything. I mean, the voice of the voice of nature documentaries, the voice of warning you about how the planet is doomed because of human folly is here to no, doom the planet brother. because yeah, of human brother. folly. Jordan, it's his brother. It's his brother. Yeah, so this is his brother. So David Attenborough does the nature documentaries, which is what makes this so great, is yeah. that you can just headcanon this, that John Hammond has a cons- conservationist brother, and he's doing all of this to spite his conservationist brother. Even richer. Yeah, and no, that's what- richer terrain. That's what makes, that's kind of why Attenborough doing this is great, because yeah, you do have- the voice of nature documentaries, they do have very similar voices, yeah. but this is like the dark flip side to oh, it. I love it. I love it more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just, it's I almost know. like, it's such a, it's such a, like the fact that we're finally talking about Jurassic Park, it's almost like, I'm like, oh my God, where, do, where, where does one even begin? It's Jurassic Park. Like, how do I even start talking? That's how I felt. I was like, where do we even begin? <laughs> I mean, I think that we can roll right into, I think we can go through sequentially on this one and just kind of talk Heck about yeah. it as we go. And uh, look, the recap, honestly, if you've never seen Jurassic Park, I don't know why you're watching, listening to this podcast. I don't <laughs> know why you still are listening to this podcast. Pause it. Go get it. Wait, are we go not? Buy the- Buy the DVD. Are we not going to like go in depth on like who Michael Crichton is and like where he was born and then like Spielberg's upbringing? We'll save the entire. (laughs) Yeah, we'll save the long form for our Patreon. Okay. Uh, Okay. Yeah. We'll cut that out and then put it on Patreon. We're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Listeners won't hear it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll do a whole in depth the uh, a breakdown of the analysis of Michael Crichton's origins and how this compares to his other works. We can do all of that at a different time. Yeah. Right now. Compare them because they're the same. Right now, I'm just going to assume that everyone listening to this has watched this movie. Right. Because why would you deprive? I'd be like, why would you deprive yourself of of that experience otherwise? Um, And I just want to start off with when the lawyer. So I'm just going to go through this based on sequencing. But when we first meet the lawyer and his biggest concern is a $20 million lawsuit. Oh man, 20 million. What a cute number in 1995. Yeah. And he starts talking about the insurance underwriters. And this was the first time in my life watching this movie that I was just like, oh, I'm an adult. How in God's name do you insure this park? (laughs) Like, I want an entire web series about the insurance underwriters seeing the park for the first time and having to figure out and process how how this fits into their current rubric of insurance pricing. Considering like all the, all the pop culture discussion around how uninsurable Lindsay Lohan was in the late (laughs) 2000s. 
I don't really know how you calculate dinosaur fucking liability insurance. I've never thought about this either, but I would guess that you would go, you'd figure out like what the liability insurance for a wild animal park looks like. Yeah. And then maybe just like quadruple it. I, I don't know. Right. I guess. I, I, but, you know, he's operating this whole situation. And by the way, I just want to say Lindsay Lohan, the Jurassic Park of people, <laughs> is a really amusing breakdown for me in my head. Um, but I like the idea that he went and developed this off the coast of Costa Rica because clearly John Hammond's like, I need to circumvent a lot of OSHA rules. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he does still want to make sure that everything's insured. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate that he wants to dot his his eyes and cross his T's on that level, even as he's like very clearly paying Nedry well below pay rate. Because <laughs> like we can agree, none of these guys are he spares no expense with like making sure that he has all the merch ready to go. But he definitely yeah. underpaid all these dudes. Like, can yeah. we, we yeah, agree I, that? Yeah. The office workers are making office worker salaries. They're not giving. They, they couldn't compete with Google. Right. So, so wait, but he. Wait, wait. I'm thinking maybe there's there's a union aspect to this. I never really thought of. Right. <laughs> yeah. Spared no expense, like six times in the movie. But whenever he talks about people and paying them, it's always not a lot of money. So there's Nedry. It always struck me as weird at the uh, when they're talking about uh, funding the dig site. He's like, I can see my fifty thousand dollars a year has been well yeah. spent, which isn't a lot of money for a dig site with that many people and that much work happening. So maybe right. that is the more we'll get to the moral of the story. But maybe it is like pay your help. Hey, yeah. don't exploit your labor. Yeah. yeah. And then things might not go fucking wrong. People won't get eaten. Yeah. 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 You won't have, you won't have any sort of subterfuge happening and uh, then shutting down all the security systems to escape. <clears throat> but now, yeah. A thing, a thing I, you know, a thing I need to know from people who have done uh, b things with bones, I think such as your guys' selves, <laughs> is when we, when we see uh, Alan and Ellie at their dig site at the beginning of the movie is that like, what do we, is that like a, is that a, is that an accurate picture of something one might see out in the world? If they were like, I'm going to go find the archeologists or is it, is it not? Uh, so first of all, archeology span is people, ancient civilization. So they're paleontologists. Right, they're right, yeah, yeah. Life. Uh, but yeah, it's not, I mean, you don't walk out to uh, a dig site, generally speaking, and just find like a perfectly intact full velociraptor just like right. slowly coming out of the ground. Like That seems like a real it. find. Right. That, that would be like a once in a lifetime. It is incredibly rare to find a dinosaur even close to a full specimen, like a full skeleton. You find bits and pieces there and you, you piece it together with other finds. But finding a complete skeleton is uh -huh. that, that just doesn't happen, at least not in the way it's depicted. Like what? Like if that if that happened, what would that day be like for you? Like what what would the, what would the feeling among the team be? I mean, that would be like a the most incredible day of your professional and probably personal <laughs> life ever. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what the champagne pot that they have on ice is say they're saving it for is the day they find a complete skeleton. Right. For sure. The um the technology that they use in it when they're using the the radio waves to check because I know that like right. you do that you do that if you're trying to see certain things about the earth itself. Do they use that with, do you know if they use that with dinosaur fossils as well? It definitely gets something similar gets used in geology, but do you know if it gets used in paleontology as well? So like ground penetrating radar? Yeah. Yeah. But like you saw the specimen, it's just on top of the earth covered with just like a little bit of sand and a sheet. So you wouldn't need to use that to see like <laughs> down, down below. Right. That, that's what, like, I was like, that just seems, I mean, it feels like if we could just use that technology, 
we wouldn't need digs quite this like who cares about whether or not Jurassic Park would put them out of business I feel like that would do a lot of putting paleontologists out of business if you can just ground <laughs> ground radiate or you know use ground radiation it's 8 a.m it's 9 a.m uh, ground waves and figure out whether or not there's a dinosaur skeleton that really eliminates a lot of the fun well I mean yeah. actually, I don't know I would push back on that like if you if you have some sort of technology that can help you locate stuff easier, you spend less yeah. time prospecting. Cause like 99% of paleontology, at least digs is like, is failure and that you're just trying to look around and trying to find a thing. Right. If that can help you find it, maybe sure. that's helpful. But like, if you remember the screen, like it doesn't give a lot of detail. It just shows you where it is. Yeah. That's why it was weird. It's like, why do I need to see this very fuzzy blurred out image on a black and white screen versus like the incredible actual specimen that's right there. Right. <laughs> And now, did, did this movie, did Jurassic Park, um, what did Jurassic Park do for the specimen preserved in amber? Because I feel like that is, that is a very, I mean, obviously that's iconic coming out of this is, you know, the little, the little mosquito in the amber. Is that used for anything? Like, what do we use amber <laughs> specimens for? Uh, so I'm the, vo I'm the vox populi here. I am the voice of the people who need things broken down. Okay. Um, so Amber is good at trapping things like little insects and other like yeah. little animals. We found like bits of a dinosaur tail with feathers trapped in Amber. So it's a really cool preservation, uh, modality that shows, that can often show you a lot of things that a fossil wouldn't like integumentary structures, mm -hmm. um, soft parts, skin feathers, that type of thing. But DNA itself degrades way too quickly. So like the oldest, like decent DNA that we have is I, I'm I ballpark a million years, maybe. So anything from 66 million years or older, it's not going to be DNA or blood that you can just like, oh, here we go. I have this DNA. I can clone a thing now. Right, so right. Cloning it from those specimens is not is not scientific. But being able to see things you wouldn't otherwise be able to see is yeah. really beneficial. Yeah, it's like a little snow globe. Yeah. But you can't really, you can't make new snow out of it. You, you can't, you're not extracting anything from that. Uh, right. Well, not DNA at least. No. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Big, big Amber got a real, got a real boost from Jurassic Park. I mean, really controversial because much of that Amber comes from a place in Myanmar that has very shady uh, extraction uh, techniques as well. Oh, as so that's a specific, like that's specific to a region on the earth where that is most commonly found. Well, well, in I don't know if that one is specifically from there. I just know recently there's been a lot of controversy around mm. Amber from Myanmar because they're basically just poaching it, taking it oh. from local populations and local uh, sites uh, without uh -huh. real great explicit consent. Um, so that's like a whole issue now. But I'm not. I don't think. Because aren't they? Where is the mine? They're, the mine is the mine that they're yeah. digging is in coast. It's like somewhere yeah, in South yeah, America, yeah. Which okay. presents its own set of problems because then you don't get a lot of like they would technically to get all those different dinosaurs. You have to assume that they're all living in that exact same area then, because right. otherwise, and at so, the same time, and at the same time, which is its own other issue. But yeah. yeah, that the idea that like the mosquitoes there, can you imagine how many mosquitoes they had to go through? They're like, Oh shit. Stilophosaurus again. <laughs> yeah. We like, just keep fighting the same fucking dinosaur. Yeah. It would be like, it's like, it's like scratchers or like, you know, <laughs> you just end up, keep getting here like, oh fuck, not again. Um, so you end up with a bunch of useless mosquitoes, but yeah, the problem is, is like, well, okay, what if there's a, a dinosaur that lives up North and that wasn't where these mosquitoes are, but I don't care. Even, I mean, you're right. Even more so than location, most of the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are Cretaceous dinosaurs. So we're talking right. about millions of years of difference. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, yeah. and, and now, 
dinosaurs, I, I suppose, perhaps it varies on era in which the dinosaurs existed. Were they all, because, you know, our animals, our animals now sort of vary by the climate band that they're in. Mm-hmm. Do dinosaurs live in any climate? Do we know? Like, was it like, oh, yeah, they could live in polar. They could live in tropical. They could live in temperate. So, like, can you just throw all these guys in in tropical Costa Rica and be like, yeah, this will work for all of them? Uh, yeah, I mean, for the purposes of the movie, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're rebuilding them from the ground up, so. we have So we found dinosaur fossils on literally every continent, including Antarctica. Oh, but yeah. keep in mind that during most of the Mesozoic, the time period dinosaurs were around, uh, all the continents were together. Yep, uh, yep. So, for instance, the sites in Antarctica where we find dinosaur fossils were at the time, I forget, like 500, 1,000 miles further north, much mm-hmm. closer to the equator. So it may have been cooler, uh, yeah. but it wasn't like Antarctic. So you, yeah. that's a really good point. You do have dinosaurs living in different climates with different adaptations for those environments. Right. And so it's weird to think you'd put them in the tropics, a tropical island. They'd all be just like cool with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have Gus the polar bear who lives in New York. So, well, not yeah. anymore, but he used to. But, but did yeah, he I move mean, there? Did he like pack up and go because it was yeah, favorable to him? He yeah, no, that was the depressed polar bear. I think I told you about the depressed polar yeah, bear. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, but like he yeah. didn't just like walk there. I would assume he was put there. He was put there. Yeah, exactly. So just like with the just like with the with Jurassic Park, which is a big old zoo, mm-hmm. Gus Gus the polar bear has to live through ninety degree summers in Manhattan. Yeah, and he's used to ice flows. So yeah. we do this to we do this to animals in zoos all the time. That yeah. actually, like, the idea that the the animals are not in their ideal climate is somehow the least, the thing that's always bumped me the least because sure. of that. This is like, no, we just are like, okay, fine, you live here now. This is yeah. this is your life. Yeah. This is your life now. Enjoy. I agree with you. That's I. That doesn't bother me at all because this right, right now is literally the first time I've thought about that. Yeah. yeah, no, I just, I, I hadn't either. I just figured since I had a resources in front of me, I would, I would cut, try and poke at certain things. I have no assumptions about any of this science, except that, you know, that it, we're probably not going to make dinosaurs up again. Um, eventually, I do hope we get to uh, the later Jurassics that Amanda, I think, lives in protest of, just to see some outrage coming from her about certain things. <laughs> Jurassic World, I will not do it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I refuse. Like I I'm having, <laughs> I'm having some real issues because of the fact that they're reuniting the big three for the new one. But I know that they're doing that specific. Like Colin Trevorrow is doing that specifically to piss me off, and so it makes me even angrier. <laughs> no, um, I, think, I think there was a promise that you would explain oh, why you're in protest of Jurassic World. Not that it's like a surprising thing, but why specifically you are. Yeah. So there's there's it's threefold. So one <laughs> miscasting. Um, okay. It should have been. It should have been uh, Chris Pratt as the dorky, like, excited scientist type. Thank um, you. Yes, Thank he you. should have been like, he shouldn't have been like cool badass. That I can't, should have I can't been... take Chris Pratt as a sex symbol, like an action hero sex symbol. I can't no. do it. No, no, no. And he that's the era goofy. he's in now, though. That's no, the only I know, I don't get Star it. Lord, I don't get but Star-Lord <laughs> is a goofy motherfucker. And this, he's like an angry badass whose only friends are the dinosaurs. Like, fuck you, Chris Pratt. No, you should be like the nerdy scientist who kind of gets okay. roped into this. Okay. Meanwhile, I want to see, was it Jessica Chastain or is it Bryce Dallas Howard? Bryce Dallas Howard. <laughs> okay. Wait, Bryce they're not Dallas- the same person? They are two different people, but it okay. takes a lot okay. of clarifying sometimes. Okay. The song about it is delightful. Yes. But it still doesn't help making it any easier. Bryce so Dallas Bryce Dallas Howard is great. Bryce Dallas she's, Howard is great. Okay, she's great. Weird thing, weird side note. Um, I briefly became friends with her at a bat mitzvah. 
And then <laughs> I mean LA, man. Yeah, it's like, I just like for, <laughs> if I like for just this one bar mitzvah, she and I were friends and I never saw her again. You played um, on an airplane. Yeah, it, yeah. that's that, that's what you do. <laughs> I I have a lot of weird like people who Jewish like brief Jew friend stories. Anyway. <laughs> Um, Can this be one of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Oh, are you? Right. Oh, perfect. Yes. I hope. Oh, well, yeah. I hope this is an ongoing friendship. This one right oh, here. I hope this. I've been stalking on Twitter to be my friend for ages now. This is just like an ongoing, <laughs> an ongoing, just harass you into friendship, as I, as I want to do with people. Just, just oh, bug okay. you into. Okay. So right. Sorry. I anyway. So. You just said no, Bryce Dallas Howard, Dallas Howard should be the raptor trainer who doesn't like people who just like the only people she likes, she wakes up every morning and like drinks a Jack Daniels rolls out with on her motorcycle with dinosaurs. That yeah. should be the dynamic. Yeah. That would have been really fun. I yeah. love so that's, that. that's a minor thing. My yeah. biggest issue is I object in total to the concept of Indominus Rex. Okay. I refuse to believe in a world where a park filled with dinosaurs is struggling to get people to come to it to the point where they have to create a hybrid dinosaur as a new attraction. So wait, 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 wait. So your problem isn't with the hybridization and the creation of this, this no. animal. It is no. with the, the business plan of the park. <laughs> yes. No, no, my problem is with the fact that they think this is a conceit they need to make within the world of this movie. It, it okay. shows, like, but I think that is the, I think that is actually one of the most accurate things about the no. new classics. No. Is that, is that we would be like, you know what, we have this thing. We need to fuck it up a little harder and make it a little crazier. Absolutely, that would happen. That is, no, absolutely, I, 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 that is absolutely center. not what we would do. You want to know yes, how I know that? Because look at every fucking zoo. But like we're in a no. we're in a con no we're in a, we're not in the human world. We're in a context with zoos where we're not creating polar bears Rex. Like we're, that's not right, a context in which we exist. In the Jurassic world universe, we have a place where we have created dinosaurs, and you cannot tell me that once scientists, once these crazy capitalist scientists yeah, have created dinosaurs, that they wouldn't create insane super freak dinosaurs. No, because the expense is too high. And the thing is, is we don't like, I'm sorry, you're creating entirely new dinosaurs that none of us have seen before. So one, as a child, I can promise you, I would have made my parents sell the house to take me to Costa Rica. Yeah, to I'm just saying. So they're the not struggling. So one, they're not going to struggle. Up. Right, but there are their reasoning is the park is on decline. We're not making enough money. This is a whole like we need to make more money because the, no yeah. one's coming anymore, and we need a new attraction. And I object to that as an entire do concept. They, do they say people? Not enough people are coming in the trailer. They're okay. like so. The my entire frame of reference for this is the trailer it's because the again, trailer. I will not watch <laughs> this movie. So as soon as I saw Je uh, Bryce Dallas Howard be like, our numbers are dropping. People aren't, you know, we're not grabbing people the way we used to or something stupid like that. And I was just like, no, that's just kids go to zoos every weekend to see the same seven animals. Like, that's how kids work. Yeah. Hold on. Let me finish. Let me finish this. Hey, finish. Continue. The other thing is the cost benefit to creating a hybrid dinosaur is extremely like, no, you're going to spend so much money hybridizing this dinosaur with these right. fancy, like, oh, the dinosaur can turn invisible. What does that do for you with a park? Yeah, that does nothing. That doesn't that make sense. That does nothing. And honestly, as a, like, as a child, we are anybody, really. We've never seen most of these dinosaurs before. So I'm sorry, you could, like, paint a T-Rex purple and be like, it's a Barney-saurus. And I'd be like, <laughs> oh, my God. 
whole new dinosaur. This is amazing. So I object to the entire conceit of the main villain in this film. But is that is that conceit have something to do with the idea of like, we get back to the original movie, the science versus like capitalism, right? Because yeah. I'm thinking about like a museum, like it's even if it's doing great, they have new exhibitions all the time, right? And there's this always give and take and pull between those that have to um, look after the purse strings and keep everything in the red yeah. or in the green versus, you know, the curators or the scientists who are doing a very different thing. Like, I agree with you that I don't think they would actually need that to continue no. to make money, but I can understand where that, that idea would come from. I, I get where the idea it. would come. I don't I think, think they, need, they it. need it. I don't think the populace actually demands it because I don't think the novelty of dinosaurs wears off after like yeah. five years. Like you said, right. yeah. sell the house, sell That's the house. That's my thing. But yeah. I think I absolutely imagine a board of people where when you have a when you have a company like Amazon that can be the most profitable company in the world and people are still in sweatshop conditions in their yeah. American factories, the idea of squeezing every dollar out, you will commit human corporations will commit human fucking atrocities yeah, to do that. So if they have already broken the yeah. seal of dinosaur recreation, literally nothing will fucking stop them yeah. from creating a black hole in the middle of planet Earth if they think that it will increase margins. Yeah. I think once you've broken the seal of this is what's possible and you've established that for people who can make money off of it, the idea of some sort of limit, they'll find a way to fucking insure it just like they found a way to insure making dinosaurs yeah. because they've already <laughs> done that. So the idea that a company wouldn't do it because there's too much liability. Donald oh, it's not Trump liability. Fucking president. I, like, no, I'm universe. not saying it's liability. Where I'm just saying eat hamburgers made of donuts. Like, where people will use <laughs> donuts as hamburger buns and the cascading hell of the reality show universe knows no limits. So you cannot tell me human depravity has a ceiling on what it would fucking do with the resources to expand its imagination into terrifying places. We made nuclear fucking bombs. We had plenty of regular bombs. And then we were like, <laughs> nuclear fucking bombs. That is what that is what the Indominus Rex is. It's a nuclear fucking bomb. Yeah. When we had a bunch of perfectly good ones in the first place. I, I think something to point out here is that uh, capitalism is not the kind of uh, system in which people go, oh, we're already making money, so we'll keep doing that. <laughs> It's that, you know, people get people get fired, you know, executives or whoever get fired if they don't gain quarter over quarter, you know. And so it's always about getting more, 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 more. And so then they go, OK, like we need something new. We need something crazy. I mean, Taco Bell is proof that like they would not stop at just some dinosaurs. <laughs> look, at, look at torture horror, you know, like the violence. People were scared. The violence was the violence was scary. And then it was like, you know what we need to do? We need to pull Bijou Phillips out of her eye, out of her body and then cut the still dead dangling nerve from it and have pus shoot out. That's what, what we're going to do in this movie. Jordan, That's what do you movie. watch? What are you talking That's about? Hostile, Jordan. That's Hostile Part 2. That's, that, is, that is mainstream torture horror. <sighs> this is what I'm saying. If this can exist, the Indominus fucking Rex is practically inevitable in a world where the technology is possible. I'm of two minds here. I kind of, I feel like I agree with Amanda, but at the same time, if you don't have that as a conceit, then you've moved very far away from the whole, like, they were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Exactly. Okay. That is, that, and capitalism doesn't have that in the brain. It's just like, fuck it, let's go. <laughs> no, my thing, I, I, one, I think that what they would have done first is they would have done exactly what John Hammond did with 
with elephants in the book, which is that John Hammond first cloned elephants and made them tiny, which by the way, <laughs> adorable. I and I it. want them. I would take it. That was like, I remember I read the book when I was like in fifth grade or fourth grade. And I really don't remember a lot from the book itself, but that is the one thing that has stuck with me. Like that's the only thing I had a mental picture of was no, no, no. There was like a little, it like was palm sized. It was like on his table. It was this tiny little elephant. It was, I was just like, how, I want an entire movie about tiny elephants. I want to. So the thing is, is that given that, what they would do first is they would be selling dinosaurs as pets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, that would have been where they would have gone first if you're going to play with your cloning technology. But the bigger issue is that I object to that as a conceit of the world, partly because it's a conceit to get viewers in. Oh, it expands. Yeah. So that pisses me off that they're like, no, 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 dinosaurs aren't good enough. We're going to make up a dinosaur. We're gonna make you a whole like no fuck you the exciting yeah, that, that is that makes me that's, upset. so that's so it's this it like is upsetting but thing. I'm still saying yeah yeah I mean yeah, like me and then my other issue is that the raptors becoming like a gang of buddies who can kind of be used as attack <laughs> animals yeah really pisses me off because they're the shark I I wrote a whole blog post about this a while back but they're the shark and jaws they're not the <laughs> they're not like your friends they're not. Something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Raptors are the shark in Jaws. They don't stop. They hunt you. They kill you. They can't be given commands or be given like be be. I mean, yes, they are trainable. Ra- yes, original let me, Jurassic Park yo, doesn't have back, yes, Raptors stop. are trainable in the sense that like crows are trainable. Raptors are highly intelligent. They probably could be trained, but that I think undercuts what is ultimately the Raptors are the Mike Myers of this trilogy. Yeah, which it, they very much are in in original Jurassic Park. Like they, yeah, I think yeah. they paint that picture very well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> back to the original Jurassic yeah, Park. Yeah, yeah. Um, circle back. I'm so sorry for that digression. No, no, that anyway, was my. I have to go back to I that digression. It. From that digression, let's talk a little bit about the park itself. Um, starting with the fact that like their helicopter entrance is very clearly in the least optimal place, but it has the waterfall. And I fully believe that John Hammond <laughs> would insist that that's where they have to have the helicopter landing right. site. Yeah. Because the, mm-hmm. the park guests mm-hmm. will enjoy the mm-hmm. drop down. What a staging. What a mm-hmm. staging. There's a, a bit in that scene that's pro- one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's like a little hit that people don't yeah. recognize often. It's when they tie, he can't get the seatbelt to work. And so he has to tie two female ends together. Oh, right, 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 yeah. Right, because all the dinosaurs are female, and then they seem to make it work. Yeah, there's there's so many like the the level of yeah, the, the level of, of dinosaurs would have been fine if a bunch of people hadn't fucking showed up and a bunch of dudes hadn't <laughs> decided to make a whole rec center around it. So basically, this movie is Wonder Woman, the first third of Wonder Woman. This is dinosaur Themyscira. Yeah, and we're fine on our own. <laughs> Is the reality I'm just imagining of the all of them in all the dinosaurs in Wonder Woman. Oh, in armor, now. yeah, with shields, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, the you, you, the uh, there's so much seeding throughout this movie of like it, the whole movie is has has stuff like that, and it's awesome that they do that. But yes, I love that the two and he just kind of ties yeah. it together as like, see, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mind your man sitting right there. I've got it. <laughs> now, BD Wong. <laughs> what what is what a what a, perhaps some of the most significant short screen time ever as yeah. that I mean, the way he lifts his pen that is so good the iconic lifting of the pen off of the clipboard how is there so much power in that god 
just I, it's good. I'm glad that does have that much power because in the book he has a much much larger role. And so if they're gonna scale him down for the movie, you got to make use of your time. And you've yeah. Got it. yeah. <laughs> you, BD Wong can make an hour out of a minute, and I appreciate that about him. <laughs> and and another like in in great bit parts, we've got we've got a powerhouse there. So we've got that. We've got somehow Samuel L. Jackson delivering every line around a cigarette, which yeah. is really mm-hmm. a skill set. Yeah, mm-hmm. like yeah. the way that that just dangles out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I forgot that he delivers the line "Hold on to your butts" twice. That it becomes like yep. that. It 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 has, but it it has levels because one "Hold on to your butt" is just starting the tour, <laughs> and one "Hold on to your butt" is we're gonna shut down every security system in the park. Yeah, right, right, very different. <laughs> it's versatile. Yeah, no, it really it goes through a lot of like "Hold on to your butts" could be as simple as like "Hold on to your butts." We're starting the movie. Yeah, and hold on to your butts. We're all gonna we're die. Drop, we're all gonna die. Yeah. Yeah. Stakes I mean, are different. The supporting yeah. the, the 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 supporting roles in this movie: Bob Peck as Muldoon, Martin Ferrero as Gennaro, B.D. Wong as 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 Wu the Doctor, Wayne Knight as Nedry, Samuel L. Jackson as Arnold. What a what a murderer's row of just coming in and doing an exact specific thing and doing it perfectly. Nedry is like a great all-time villain by virtue yeah. of just being a complete fuck up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just the, the most- like, you people talk about the great casting and how they, they nail their roles uh, as far as the human actors go. But if you think about it, every dinosaur that we see in that movie has a very specific like character oh, and character yeah. arc that adds to the narrative. Like we already talked about Velociraptor. They're it's the so cunning, true. smart, like adversarial yeah. evil, which now that you mentioned is weird that we're going to take them onto our team later in the later yeah, movie. Yeah, they're going to be our house pets. Yeah. yeah. You got like the Brachiosaurus, which is the gentle giant. It tugs at the heartstrings. Oh, so much. And then like, I feel like the T-Rex is like the purest iteration of of like almost not evil though like purest iteration of like raw respected yeah. power yeah and at the nature. end of the day it's actually the, the hero of the movie yes yeah. the hero so the t-rex undergoes a character arc yeah, yeah. it's amazing sure. the t-rex sure. the t-rex undergoes and is an anti-hero yeah the and undergoes like the noble lion punishing us for our hubris yep. and being like, I will restore the balance. And the raptors are like the the actual insidious evil that are just here for blood. Yep. Like the T-Rex is pissed that you deigned to do any of this. And the raptors are just like for vampires. Like they're going to feed. They're relentless. They're just here to kill you. There's no conscience. But the T-Rex is like, is like. I don't know. There's some Latin term for what the T-Rex represents, I'm sure. Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if that was it or if I was just going to say that and it was going to be wrong because it's like one of two Latin things I can say. Maybe it's corporate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I'll just say Vox Populi again. No, the T-Rex is our is our beautiful lion, like guarding guarding the domain. And you love the T-Rex. I love you love the T-Rex. When he's chasing somebody in a car, it's like, yeah, you should, you should fucking chase you. You shouldn't be here. You came into his house. Like, get out of his house. He's going to make you leave. Can I a couple things about that part of the movie? First of all, I like, I mean, the eating of the lawyer off of the toilet. Whoever decided yeah. that he was gonna be on the toilet while eating, that's chef's kiss. Uh-huh. Secondly, uh, we don't think an adult T-Rex would have been able to run nearly the speed that it does in that in the in that scene chasing the Jeep. And I bring this up because like I actually tried to race a T-Rex on my YouTube channel. <laughs> where I was like, if I was actually in a race, could I outrun it? That's neither here nor there. But most importantly, had so that you, not happened, we wouldn't have the shirtless gold bloom scene. Yeah. Which 
is, I mean, I don't want to say it's the crescendo of the movie, but you know. You yeah. It's a crescendo, certainly. Exactly. It's a crescendo, certainly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's he, he not shot... many films reach art, but that actually created <laughs> art. Yeah, Steven Spielberg filmed Jeff Goldblum in that moment like Michael Bay would have filmed Michael Go Jeff Goldblum in that moment, which is a real shocking crossover. <laughs> like, I don't think of sweaty objectification being Steven Spielberg's thing, but he really, you could, like, Jeff Goldblum was on display. Yeah, no, they spritzed him down. <laughs> now, do the, do the, I mean, I mean, as much as we know about dinosaur personalities, mm -hmm. do we feel like this movie was, was accurately representing its dinosaur characters? So as far as their behavior, not necessarily yeah. their like actual physical adaptations. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe like yeah. it's really hard to gauge yeah. dinosaur behavior. Like we have some certain species where we know they, they lived at least some of the time in groups because we've either found trackways of multiple individuals or uh, uh, fossil assemblages where they all died at the same time in the same place. Mm -hmm. But it's it's really hard to know. So we have to make relatively educated guesses based on scant fossil record. And then we look at modern modern corollary-ish animals, okay. like birds or alligators, to try to glean clues. But we're not really sure. So for my money, like the behavior is could could potentially be the most scientifically accurate part. Okay, Although, yeah. That being said, I just thought the T-Rex wouldn't be able to run that fast. <laughs> <laughs> and also the T-Rex, the T-Rex's vision being based on movement combined with the fact that the T-Rex can then immediately, like, yes, but it can still smell and right. it smells like just because they're not moving, it can still smell and it smells Dr. Grant and uh, <laughs> Lexi. Yeah. And like, well, just because they're not moving, the T-Rex would still know that's food. Yeah. Even and and we know that T Rex's vision is better. We think the T Rex's vision is better than that. But in particular, uh, they had incredibly good senses of smell, right? Like there's, they were potentially they were scavengers. They would have had a long range sense of smell, right? Yeah, I mean, there we've had endocasts uh, of T Rex brain cases, and their olfactory bulb is I forget how much, but definitely larger than you'd expect for an animal of brain that size. So yeah, we know they had really really good smell. But yeah, the whole vision based on movement thing is is not real. <laughs> That's but, a matter of convenience. But this narrative. particular T-Rex might have had bad vision, you know, yeah. um, maybe True. had a cold that day. We know that the, where the brachiosaur had a cold. Yeah, the, bra uh, the sneezing brachiosaur. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, mm -hmm. so the T-Rex might have had some allergies, might have been a little stuffy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was probably smelling them and was like, oh man, I just, I think that there's food here, but like, uh, I gotta go, I gotta go take another Zyrtec. It really, it really does live. Like to me, there are there are the two greatest special effects achievements in cinema history. Oh yeah, are the highway fight in the first Transformers? Because I'm sorry, those are real robots. Those aren't. That's not special effects. Those are real fucking robots that Michael Bay found and cast and had them fight a bunch of cars on a highway. There's that. Okay. And then there is the welcome to Jurassic Park. There is the the beautiful glistening vista with the dinosaurs in the distance. Mm -hmm. the, it is like I watch it now and I'm like, this is still fucking real. Oh, this is big, he found yeah. he found a hole in the earth and went mm -hmm. through it and came out on the other side and ended up in a world where dinosaurs exist. And he brought a camera and he filmed it. Like, and that. The reality, as far as like the sort of narrative, like the the emotional reality of it goes, the response 
of the of of the the cast of the people yeah. when they arrive at this place they're in the jeeps and they see the dinosaurs that felt that was like yes this is this is what it would be this is what it would feel like like yeah. i don't this isn't a performance these dinosaurs are real i know it because these people are reacting like i would fucking react if i saw a dinosaur like it's yeah. it's the most it's the most special thing it's the special most special movie feeling there is is that intro to the dinosaurs in jurassic park yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going on almost thirty years old at this point, and the the CGI. I mean, the combination of CGI and animatronics it holds up. Oh my it god, it, it looks great still. Yeah, it holds up. And in that scene where you have them just there's that that wonderful sort of sweet spot in special effects where things are just far enough away to yeah. where like the amount of painting they've had to do is like minimal. So it's still like it looks very. It's like oh yeah, I could see that far away. It's like when you're like when you watch the movie Oblivion, the Tom Cruise one, like the spaceships in that look so real because they're just far enough away from everything. That's so like I can see that in the distance. And Star Wars is great at doing that, too. And that's what you get in that Jurassic Park wonderment sequence. It's yeah. just like, oh, yeah, I'm seeing all these dinosaurs far. It's it actually like it's a heartbreaking kind of emotional because you're so happy to see it. And then you're sad that you can't go see it, too. Yeah, <laughs> that's the exact arc that I go through every time. It's just yeah. like, but I want. I want to see the Rachiosaurus. Yeah, yeah. I want to be out there. I want to do that too. But then I'm like, no, I don't. No, but no, they, I don't. But they do move in herds. Oh. They're moving. <laughs> <laughs> they do move in herds. It's like, yeah, your yeah. whole life is coming together right now in this moment. It's so beautiful. I, one of the things I love about. Can't take off his glasses correctly. Yeah. Oh. Just one of the for- things I love about this movie is how everyone else is having a horrible time except for Dr. Grant through the entirety <laughs> yeah. of this film. Like everyone else is, comes out of this film. The only person who doesn't undergo some sort of dinosaur or terrain-based trauma <laughs> is Alan Grant. Yeah. Like he really does. Like, yeah, the, the T-Rex is scary, but like he doesn't actually undergo. And like Ellie is at one point, you know, has to face off with the raptors. Yeah. Ian gets attacked, has to tourniquet himself. Poor Lexi. Oh, Lex. Oh, and poor Tim. Me. Like those two kids are never sleeping again. Tim. But Alan, for the most part, doesn't undergo any sort of serious trauma to the point where he can joke around with them about the electrical fence. And yeah, like these, are, these children are traumatized. You're the only adult that they have in their life at this point who will help them survive, and you're pretending to die. <laughs> and from start to finish, like he does have a great like for him. It sucks because yeah, it's it you know it's not. It's he might die, but like at every moment, there's something that he's like, This is fantastic, though. Look, I'm yeah. eating, I'm getting a brachiosaurus. Oh, look, there's a, a triceratops I can rest my head against. Yeah, I can rest my head gently on. Yeah. Oh, there's a T Rex hunting me, but I can still learn and see how it's moving. Like he's having, <laughs> he comes out of this having had a really, I think, Ultimately, he enjoyed himself a lot more than anybody else did, um, and I, <laughs> I, I'm happy for him on that. But it is when he's when he the, when the kids are clearly traumatized, and he's like, no, no, I'm gonna bring this dinosaur closer, and then we're gonna feed it. I mean, the, the emotional... which I, I respect. I would do that too. I would want to pet. Why wouldn't you want to pet like what is essentially a, a long neck puppy? The per the per the performances in this movie. I mean, the 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 Ellie looking with the anguish on her face when she when she can only like whisper out the words run as she's like trembling in horror and Lex 
literally trembling in horror with the jello on the oh, fork. The jello on the fork. Oh my god. I it's mean so good. the the emotional reactions in this movie. Like it's why it it's why it can endure so long is because we are with these characters. They are us, we are them. It's so satisfying. It's like, how did you actually replicate the wonder I think I would feel in a dinosaur park? But you did it. That's amazing. I love, I got, this is something really small and minor that has nothing to do with it, but I'm just thinking about the animatronics again. Yeah. When the T-Rex's eye comes down right next to, yep. Uh, yep. oh my God. And the pupil contracts and I'd never noticed it before. Oh, the yeah. pupil contracts. They had to create an animatronic that made it do that. And they were like, yeah, this is going to be useful for us. No one's going to notice it, but it's going to make it feel real. And I just like, <laughs> I mean, okay. So would you guys, if you were told there's a 70% chance that you might get eaten, but there's a dinosaur park off the coast of Costa Rica and you can go there for a weekend. 70% chance. 70%, 70% chance I'm not coming back. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's too high. Sorry. Okay. How about a 60% chance? No. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's like, I know the answer is no, but I feel, I feel myself wanting to rationalize it and knowing yeah. I can't. Like, I'm even, I'm trying to rationalize it. I'm wanting to rationalize it because, yeah. because the temptation is so great. Yeah. Yeah, but I know the answer is no, but I'm like, man, I'm really trying to find way too many ways around 70% chance I'm going to die. For someone who is not a thrill seeker. Yeah. In any way. I am a, I am a quite safe person. Amanda, you're more safe than I am. Yeah, no, I'm not answering this I don't even like question. riding my bike in Los Angeles. Well, that's because that's a, that's a much more like established risk. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I can't, I, I genuinely can't quantify it because of the fact that like, it's easy for me to say in this situation that yes, I would. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I do make really dumb choices when given the opportunity for like rock related things. Like most <laughs> of the time that I've almost, that I've gotten into a situation where I'm like, I could die here is because it involves a rock of some sort. Um, like yeah, basically like, I'm like, oh no, no, I didn't, I read this map properly. Clearly I should scale this rock face in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden I'm like. 30 feet up a pretty sheer cliff and no one knows where I live. No one knows where I am <laughs> and I'm going to fall. Um, so I've made a lot of dumb choices for not even for science, but that's for my own amusement. Right. Now so I'm just I, like figuring out where, like at what point of death probability. That's a good point. Am, am I going to actually go to drive? I don't know. That's going to take a lot of, I need more information. Yeah. I need to know yeah. who I'm going with. <laughs> that's a good point. How, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause I'm a runner. I feel like I run pretty fast. So like that in of itself, I, you know, the whole like natural selection thing, it's not about right, yeah. survival of the fittest between species. It's like, can I out survive you? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I don't yeah, need it's to, a very I don't specific. Need to be the fastest person here. I just need to be faster than the person behind exactly, me. That's, exactly. Just need to be faster than the person behind me at all times. Yeah. I'm definitely not a runner. If I can bring my inhaler, maybe like if I, <laughs> Now, do we do we know the do we know that the the vocal the vocalizing of raptors do we know if that's something that they did or is that just a cool thing we can make up like with their cool talking and their like coughs at each other is that just like a fun detail we we made up or is like no we actually have science that tells us this is how raptors verbally communicated. Uh, short answer is no. Okay. <laughs> like, again, we can extrapolate if we have really well preserved specimens that kind of uh, preserve the shape and the structure of. Yeah. Um, like the throat and stuff, or for instance, with Parasaurolophus, which has a cameo in this movie. You guys, Parasaurolophus is one of my favorite dinos. It's got that like three foot long head trombone attached to its skull. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. In, in the little lake in that opening scene where Brachiosaurus, where you see the Brachiosaurus. Right. We look at a close-up of it, but I bring it up because Parasaurolophus is the only dinosaur that actually makes a physical presence on screen in all five movies. Really? Yes. Um, so, and for, like, for instance, at the Field Museum in Chicago, they have this thing that is the shape of its crest that you can blow into and make what we think might have sounded somewhat like it. Now, that being said, we always hear like T-Rex, like roaring, but it based like on- like Godzilla almost. Right, right. But it probably would have been much more like something resembling a bird, like a cooing, um, but we're not exactly sure. So Velociraptor probably would have been able to make some noises, what exactly they sounded like. Yeah. Who knows? But it definitely, yeah. I, I, very highly unlikely that it was like a roar. Yeah, yeah, okay. Just I have very vocal crows in my front yard all the time, so I just assume that's what the Velociraptor sounded like, is like very vocal crows teaming up to figure out how they can get into the garbage that we've put outside. Right. <laughs> similar, similar to chasing children through uh, an amusement park. These crows say, are really big. They could chase children. The uh, These are top-notch disaster movie kids. That was what I was going to I have that in my these notes. These are great Simply disaster movie Disaster kids. children. Yeah, they're, so the, they're the standard setter. Yeah, disaster movie children are so hit and miss, and we've definitely, we've definitely, just for Dustin, for your frame of reference, we have gone hard on how much we hate certain disaster children. They're mostly terrible. They're so often terrible, but man, I mean, Tim with his little like outfit that matches Doctor like Grant. You don't, don't like, like him. Tim? You don't like Tim. I mean, what, I'm what? fine with Lex. Tim. Tim just seems like a little whiny, useless kid and then like when he I could easily him. get up and hand the gun to them when the raptors are trying yeah. to come through the door and he just sits there being yeah. a useless little kid again like no you're in a life or death situation step your game up let's go no i i don't disagree with that i don't disagree yeah. with that he's so tim uh um joseph mazzello does such a good job being this little one he looks like like a sick victorian child like <laughs> he does such a good job being that it, it pulls at my heart but lex is, lex is clearly the child like she's a hacker yeah. she's she's cool like let like i and and also i know there's too the emotional attachment to ariana richards at that time just being super important to me and i think many others in the early 1990s with movies like this and movies like angus and she really just crushed it the i mean who among us did not want to to be a hacker briefly as she's got her finger for some reason like this on the mouse moving it around going it's a unix system i know i know this <laughs> <laughs> i love that they couldn't figure out how to do like nedry's system is so complex but also an 11 year old girl's got this yeah i mean of course like never yeah. underestimate the teens. She's, she's just she's like janie neutron you know never underestimate the, the preteens I, I, yeah, no, she, I see, I, justice for Tim for me, because, so, <laughs> like, on the one hand, I, I always love their dynamic, because I wasn't, like, the age gap seems pretty much the same as me and my younger brother, um, so there's, like, it looks like there's about a four-year age gap, but I'm, I am at heart at Tim, like, let's okay. be real here, like, if, <laughs> are you kidding me, Jordan, like, I, if I, I were in a situation, I, I was me. I was been like a teacher's pet suck up nerd who was so excited to meet their hero that they dressed up like that hero. Like, yeah. If you told me that my hero, when I, if you told me I was, cause I was super into Robert T. Backer when I was like in that age range and I was yeah. going to meet Robert T. Backer, I would have rolled up with a stupid big hat like he wears. <laughs> That's the very the only thing The only difference between us is that I would have been too nervous to ask him questions, whereas Got Tim it. goes the other end and is just like... Well, Tim's very much a little boy. 
Yeah, Tim is all the questions. And I would have been like super anxious and just clammed up and then like also tried to be too cool and it would have been a terrible best. But I, I respected that Tim was just like, I get to ask my hero all of my questions yeah. and I'm going to ask them all at once. <laughs> Since you just commented on his outfit, can we switch gears to like sartorial concerns for a minute? Yes. Yeah, no, I know you, There's we? a few people we should probably talk about in this yes. movie. I'm gonna, can I start with what might be a controversial opinion? Yes. Uh, the lawyer. The oh. lawyer was ahead of his time wearing a short suit. Yes. With shorts, which is what you see like LeBron James rocking yeah, now as he enters the arena. I am here for the short suit. And yeah. it makes sense in the climate that they're in. Yeah, yeah he wants to be respectable, but yeah, he also great. wants to keep his knees cool. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, and he wears, it's not just a short suit, it's a tan short suit. Like, it's a linen tan short suit. Yeah. It is really... Yeah, and which I feel like is really optimized by the fact that he then dies sitting on a toilet because you just yeah. see his knees sitting there and you're just like, oh, this is that moment of dignity that you were hoping for with that law degree. It really didn't work out the way you thought it was, did you? Yeah, you're Do, right. That is that's a good so point. Dr. Grant I, and Dr. Sattler look correct. Or is this just like a caricature of a paleontologist? I mean, yeah, that's what it is. So it's okay, yeah. correct in that way. Yeah. One okay, thing I will say, the, the denim on denim in the field is not a good plan. <laughs> uh, have, at, like in my early, in my, the early stages of when I was getting my, when I was in school for geology, um, I didn't know really how to dress myself for it because sure. I, I wasn't an outdoorsy person. I just really liked rocks. So I didn't have like hiking gear and shit. So I just yeah. wore my most comfortable jeans. Yeah. Uh, oh. And wound up having to hike up a sand dune in jeans, and don't do that. Never. After that, no. I thought, no, don't, <laughs> don't do that. It's not comfortable. It's not breathable. You're really hot, and it's no, heavy. that sounds terrible. Yeah, bad plan. So I gotta say, Ellie wearing wearing denim jeans and a denim tucked in shirt probably uh -huh. not the most. She would have probably been in a lighter weight pant for July in Montana. But it doesn't right. matter because her look is so good. It's like so she looks good. so cool. I don't care. It's so good. Yeah. Yep. You know what? She's just cool enough to stay cool. She, she's, <laughs> she's exothermic or I don't know what the term for it would be, but she generates her own cooling system. Yeah. No, Laura Dern just might. Laura Dern yeah. just might. I feel yeah. like does, does David Attenborough. Look, I, he fit, I feel like he's fitting the part very well. Like, what is this? Like all Richard, white oh, yeah. linen? Richard, yeah. Wearing, yeah. Yeah. Richard Attenborough wearing all white linen. Totally, totally tracks. He has an entire wardrobe with like white linen and Panama hats. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The only other people that can pull that off are like Colombian drug lords. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. In like 1970s films. Yep, 100%. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, them and, and Richard yeah. Attenborough. Yeah, and, and old and old men who sit outside of like, who sit outside of, of coffee shops or at chess tables, I feel like also. Like a lot of outdoor chess players, like the old men in parks, I feel <laughs> yeah. like would also wear that outfit. It's a very, yeah. but it's a perfect costuming choice. Yeah. Um, well, and then we have our, then we have Muldoon in like the ultimate, oh, yeah. I'm the, I'm the safari hunter, which like, it's like it's taken, it like that, and the outfit for the hunter in Jumanji are basically, yes. the, it's basically the same character. He's short he's, shorts, legends, short yes. shorts, legends. Yes. I mean, here Show for off those quads popping in yep. those short shorts. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> part, of, part of what you have to do is you get, when you're hunting an animal is you got to make it a little thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how you tire it out faster is if it's mm -hmm. also a little thirsty by the end of it. Yep. <laughs> now, are there, are there big, are there big key points of reality indexing that you guys need to make sure that we hit here today? I like, don't think we finished talking about sartorial choices here because there's one yeah, big there's layer. One one. There's one, oh, there's one more. Okay. There's one more here. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, Ian Malcolm wearing a leather jacket in a completely different climate than anybody else in this film. Um, yeah, that is. <laughs> I, again, Dick to me says would happen. Didn't didn't question it. Did question whether or not he would be extremely clammy. Like, <laughs> well, here's the question then a minute. If you're not going to address him as that and he still needs to be this like kind of hip urban right. chaotician, like what do you what do you dress him in? No, yeah. That's the thing. That's why he has to be in that. Like yeah. I have no I, I don't take issue with it at all because it's just like, yeah, that is what he would wear. But this is like I said, the first time I've ever watched this movie and been like, when is this taking place? And I figured out that the digging season in Montana is basically June through September. OK. Um, and then the, in Costa Rica, it would, so if we're going to do, okay, it's gotta be somewhere between June and September in Costa Rica, the driest time of the year is July. Okay. So I would assume they are bringing them down. Let's just say probably in mid to late July, there are still going to be storms. So it is possible that there would be a, a, a tropical storm of some sort. So this is July in Costa Rica. The temperature is somewhere between 75 to 85 degrees and the average humidity is 80 to 90%. Oh God! Yeah, it is a uh, you know, and, but I mean, but as we see, the, the jacket does come off, and the, the shirt does come is off, open. and he is, and he's very sweaty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't doubt for a second that this is what he would wear and what he would pack for it. Yeah. I just also think that oh my God, that jacket must have been so uncomfortable. No, I forget. Is it is the resort? Is the park a resort? Do you stay in? I forget. Do we remember uh, if you stay on Jurassic Park or do you fly in and out for the park experience and then you like that's it? I don't, I don't think they actually talked about that. We don't find that out. Okay, they, I just yeah, wasn't sure if they were like it. planning to stay overnight there or if it's like you fly in and you so, fly out because they, they don't think they like bring do bags. Have to be facilities anything. because they're going to be there for the weekend. Right. They are there for a weekend. Ooh, that's true. But we don't know if, like, at the end of the day, the helicopter takes them to, like, a neighboring island. Yeah, because I don't think they get off the helicopter with, like, bags or anything. I think they're just there. Well, they spared no expense. They probably bought them entirely new wardrobes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they spared no expense. They spared no expense. Um, One thing I just want to call out is is how much I love the way that the DNA character says dinosaur. 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 Well, dinosaurs. Oh, no. It's like, that's... that's Dinosaur. (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it's slightly southern, but like generic. Yeah, his name is. By the way, his name is Mr. DNA. Mm. <laughs> That's right. It is Mr. DNA. That dude. That's- you watch that now. It's like this guy has been doing lines of coke. Like <laughs> amped. He's very amped. The guy who did the voice itself actually was the guy who took over for Mel LeBlanc. Wait, no, no, that's Matt LeBlanc. Mel Blanc. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Took me a second. Mel Blanc. Um, as the voice of like all of the Looney Tunes characters, uh, but then he had a a in like in the late early to the nineties and two thousands, and then he had a a rough ending uh, that oh. involved a police standoff. But oh my god, yeah, Mr. I don't think DNA. Yeah, the voice of Mr. DNA did Jesus. he he wound up getting like taken into police custody at one point. Um, love but that. love that so much. 
Yeah, but the voice of the this is the that's the voice of Mr. DNA. Because I looked up, I was like, I want to know the audition process. How did they decide that Mr. DNA was going to be like just lightly southern? Like, yeah. what were all of the casting choices that went the into dinosaurs. this? I want a I want an entire deep dive into the decisions, all the decisions made about Mr. DNA, the oral history of Mr. DNA. Also, the fact that like doing this ride would require John Hammond to be on the ride for every single group that goes through because he. He's part of the no. tour. No, I think this is a special thing they made for like investors that yeah, come okay. that he's part of. He's not, it's not for the public. Yeah, he's a I, premium package. So here's my thing. I would fully believe that John Hammond would be like, no, I want to greet every group that comes to the park. Like, I don't, I don't question. I, like, I, it's when I realized that as I was watching it, I'm like, oh, he's part of this. He has to, no, I fully believe. And no, he does say it's a temp score. We're going to have like much more dramatic so he does say it's a temp score. This is going to be for the audience. Um, and I fully, fully, fully believe that he's part of it. But how pissed off would you be if you were a parent? Because your kids get like weirdly obsessed about stupid things. And yeah. they like, yeah. What if you're, you're, you bring your kids to Jurassic Park? You spend God knows how much to get them to Costa Rica, then to get them to this very expensive park. And then your oh, kids God. are like, I want to go on the DNA ride again. <laughs> and you're like, don't you want to go see the T-Rex? And they're like, no, 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 I want to do the DNA ride again. <laughs> How mad would you be if you were a parent and your kids just micro-focused on this stupid ride? Well, what I want to know, is, like, I feel like what the, the later Jurassics have not, the later Jurassic movies have not done is like where it's become corporate espionage about stealing dinosaur secrets. Because you know if Jurassic Park comes into existence... Disney is not letting that shit just sit there. Like Disney's going to find a way to create its dinosaurs. Elaborate Japanese theme parks are going to find a way to create dinosaurs. Like there there would rise there would rise a competing ecosystem of dinosaur theme parks across the world. See now if that were the case then I would be on board with the idea that in Jurassic World Indominus Rex has to be created cuz they need something unique that no other Jurassic that no other dinosaur theme park has. Which I'd like I'd be in for that. By the way, D Disney finds a way is just as much the tagline of this movie as life finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the existence of an Indominus Rex. I, again, if that were the conceit that there are too many competing theme parks, which I actually think that's a great point. Like give us the movie set in like Jurassic it's Park. It's called Cretaceous Camp somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's the Netflix spinoff. You didn't have you you oh you wouldn't see the billboards. You're not out here. There's Cretaceous Camp is the Netflix kids TV show right, in the right. Jurassic Park world. I'm just oh, okay. that name. I I know that. Oh, okay. I didn't watch it, but okay. I just that name would be perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actual site. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cretaceous Camp. Sure. Bring back Di Ariana Dino Counselor Lex. Come on. <laughs> How cruel would that be if her parents were like the only way for you to get over this trauma? is that you have to go be a counselor at this camp. <laughs> I mean, at this point, she's old enough to run the camp. I'm saying reclaim your trauma and make money off of it, Lex. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a dark turn for Lex. I, mean, I would like to think that she's gone complete anonymous and she's now like, her. what she does is she actually hacks these places. She and would like, be an environmental activist. Yeah, she's an environmental activist and she like hacks Jurassic Park and then finds ways to like completely ruin, screw things up. Without people dying, but she finds a way to screw screw things up. So now I, I I I to pull us back in. Do we are there are there critical points of reality indexing we need to make sure and hit 
before we move forward to next phase. (laughs) (laughs) Dustin, do we know that dinosaurs, that dinosaur babies were just as fucking cute as that raptor baby is? Because that is the cutest on-screen baby animal I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Probably. I mean, what animal babies today? Like, what animal babies aren't incredibly cute? Even ones that grow up to be like vicious killers. The tiny ones are always adorable. So here's my thing. Newborn baby birds are not cute. That's also true, though. Actually, that's a good point. They yeah, are fucking like, weird looking. Yeah. They're so weird looking. Yeah. But man, that little baby raptor is just like, have you seen a cuter on-screen animal than that baby <laughs> raptor? And it's like, nah! Well, baby, like, baby alligators are really cute. That yeah, is true. Like that is true. And so you got to, yeah, you kind of think of them as like an alligator-bird hybrid. I don't know. Hard to know. I mean, we found embryos. Like, we know what the skeletons look like of a number of species. But as far as what it actually looked like fleshed out or feathered out... I'm not sure. <laughs> Actually, that's a good segue to talk about feathers. Yeah. Yes. So, so there's a lot that the movie got right. There's a lot that the movie hypothesized about. And there's also a lot that the movie got wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot, again, it's all, I think, in service of making a good film. Like, for instance, yeah. the Velociraptors, if you read the book, Velociraptor in the book is Deinonychus, which is the actual size of the raptors you see. So in real life... Uh, I thought Deinonychus were smaller. What? I thought Deinonychus was, like, about up to about mid chest on an adult man. So like the raptors you see in the movie are basically the size of what Deinonychus was. Oh, okay, and in the okay. they're called Deinonychus. Steven Spielberg liked and thought the term Velociraptor was like more cinematic and scarier. So they went with Velociraptor. But in real life, Velociraptor was like half that size. We're talking like medium sized dog, large turkey situation. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And covered in feathers. And at the time... That was pretty much starting to be widespread and known in the paleontological community. Uh, why they still, after what almost thirty years, have not feathered their dromaeosaurs, which is like the raptor family, okay. I have no idea. Because I personally think like a raptor with feathers is even scarier. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah, it's yeah. like Jim Henson scary shit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so I always one. thought that it was the u- that they're based on the Uteraptor, which is like about because those are taller than a human. And that because they had just been discovered, and then they scaled them down, they, and, and they made they called them Velociraptors because no one knew what a Uteraptor was. It was Deinonychus. I've heard both. Like so, I've heard Deinonychus. Well, first of all, Deinonychus and Utah Raptor. I think it's Utah Raptor. It probably is. I've only ever read like so that I tend to mispronounce everything because I just read it and then I'm like, that's how words work. Oh, every dinosaur has like three pronunciations. So don't worry right, about okay. it. Okay. Uh, but like both Utah Raptor and Deinonychus are about the size of the raptors you see in Jurassic Park. But in real life, Velociraptor was way tinier. Yeah. I, a Velociraptor would make an adorable but ferocious pet. Yes. Yeah. It's like and German, German Shepherd size, right? Like bigger than German Shepherd? Maybe even smaller than that. Like we're wow. thinking about a large turkey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of size, the Dilophosaurus, unless the Dilophosaurus uh, is a juvenile, they made that way smaller. So Dilophosaurus was even bigger than the raptors you see in the movie. In real life, mm. it was even bigger. And plus the whole spitting and frill, that's total creative license. There's no evidence for either of those. Ah. Um, yeah, so we have no idea uh, if that was a possibility. I do like Dilophosaurus though, because it has like that double crested mohawk situation, which is very cool looking. Yes. And it's one of the only actually from the Jurassic period dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Do scientists know whether or not they also carried around maracas that they would shake right before they spit? Because that's one of my favorite details. Is that, they that is sh- great. I love yeah. that. I love that sound. Again, <laughs> we don't know. Oh, yeah. and the other one that we know had feathers now 
uh, but is not depicted with feathers is Gallimimus. The so Gallimimus. Oh, the Gallimimus. Yeah, that that's my favorite scene when they're in the field and. Oh, it's uh, amazing. Yeah, I love. I love that, that they have. Yeah. They have. I think they've they've recreated a ga the Gallimimus scene for like every new for each new Jurassic movie. So they know where their bread is buttered. Yeah. They're like, yeah. we need a running in the field being chased by a herd of Gallimimus. They yeah. they know that that it's thrilling. It is it is a tremendous scene. Oh, it's so I mean, good. And those are those are those are feathered. Yeah, I mean, its name literally means chicken mimic, right? <laughs> uh, and its relatives' names are like Struthiomimus and uh, Pelicanomimus. Like, there's all these different, yeah, all these different ones in that family of Ornithomimids, which literally means bird mimics, uh, huh. that were feathered. Yeah. So that uh, would basically be like ostriches running you down. Very similar. Very similar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Their run definitely in it looks like ostriches. Like I, they must have yeah. modeled it for their for the CGI. They must have modeled it off of the ostriches because it's super similar when you watch them running. It, and that's, I mean, that's another reason why it's a cool scene. Other than the fact that like I love like hunt scenes, like actual like predator prey uh, videos, like from today. But like that's one of the only ones you see a dinosaur hunting another dinosaur. Uh, plus, when he even says like they're flocking this way, moving just like a group of birds, I think that scene in this movie in general did a lot to push the public conception of dinosaurs away from like the historically slow, sluggish, dragging their tail behind them, cold-blooded yeah. reptile into uh -huh. this much more active, much more warm-blooded. By the way, warm-blooded, cold-blooded is a false dichotomy. Almost everything is somewhere between. Uh, uh -huh. Yeah, so it really pushed the public's perception away from that to like these active predators that would. Mm -hmm be very scary to encounter nowadays because they're not just like dragging their tails like you see like in a Godzilla movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It does feel like, cause when they, when the, when the people encounter um, non carnivorous dinosaurs, it seems like there isn't generally a threat level. And it, it's interesting to think to me, to me, it's interesting to think about like, how would these dinosaurs react to people in a context where they had been in like, you know, when they existed in the first place, there weren't people around and now they've been created they don't know what necessarily is a threat to them and what isn't. So right. like, it, it, like these, I feel like these animals wouldn't necessarily, I mean, short of the, you know, something like a T-Rex that just knows it's food, like that, like I smell you, I want to eat you. It feels like there would be actually at the, at the very beginnings of this park's life, there would be at least like tepid, warm relations between dinosaur and animal provided there wasn't like a, a, a menacing um, predatory thing a, a fear of like a predatory threat from one to the other that they would just kind of coexist because they wouldn't have reason to fear each other. Like humans and the dinosaurs? Yeah. Um, I mean, I have two minds. One, I mean, most animals are going to be curious about some weird different thing moving around yeah. they're not used to. And so either that means a quick look and then I'm getting out of here or maybe that's more aggressive, like they're protecting their territory and they're young. I mean, think about how aggressive geese can be. But at the same time, if these things all have been hatched at the park and reared by humans since birth, yeah. you can imagine they're probably a little more acclimated to the presence of human beings. Right, like like pigeons and people. Just like, yeah. yes, I will walk up to you and take that from your hand, that food. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I will eat your cigarettes off the ground because I'm a shameless, <laughs> shameless bird. <laughs> Street trash diet. Um, yeah. Do yeah, I have any bigger like I want to make sure we hit your guys' big points of reality. I, the, the thing is, is every second of this movie I fully believe. And then they're just like the little minor things where I think about the day-to-day -day -day operations, and those are the things that I bump up against. The yeah. fact that like the cow harness gets destroyed every time they drop a cow yeah. into the raptor yeah. tank. Right. Yeah, I'm like, that That's can't be the best method to feed these raptors. How many times do you goat over the fence? Why do you yeah. need to why do you need yeah. a 
Yeah. Yeah, just like drop it. Have like use a claw machine and then drop it in. Also, speaking yeah. of the goat, remember when so obviously remember when they pull the cars up to the T-Rex paddock and they bring the goat out in the yeah. little cage. Also, is everything eating goats? Are they only feeding things goats? <laughs> yeah. Goats um, and cows, man. Yeah. So they bring the goat out to try to lure it, right? And then fast forward a few minutes later, and now instead right. of the land being there, there's like a 40-foot sheer cliff drop right there. <laughs> yes. That yes. seemed weird. The the <laughs> T Rex right. the T Rex dining area has a very sharp drop off, so it can have a vista as it dines. That's fair. That's, <laughs> that's what it is. It's yeah. it's it's entirely for that. I do. I mean, like, look, if we're gonna talk about this, the T Rex, you didn't need to create the Indominus Rex because the T Rex can teleport. There's many times, like, yes, we can hear Much the T Rex. Like so many disaster movie stars. It yeah, can like apparate. many disaster movie monsters, it can sometimes just appear, <laughs> like in the climax when it silently suddenly is in the center of the rotunda <laughs> having not like and no one's heard it approaching <laughs> did it how, bother how big are the doors yeah right seriously They're they, you know they just happened to conveniently make them dinosaur height like that was just stories. a that was just a coincidence they were like well we don't need to make the, the ceilings this high but uh we're gonna do it anyway and then they they found out that it worked out really well for them because it could allow for the t-rex ex machina to appear yes yep. yes um <laughs> But, oh, and then the other thing, the other thing that in this movie that I, cause I, I just watched it differently than I've ever watched it before was I love that John Hammond is like, well, my grandkids are probably dead. <laughs> All the ice cream is melting. Can't let yeah. that go to waste. <laughs> like I have never <laughs> seen a grown man. Like, I just love the thought process that went into him being in front of a bunch of melting things of ice cream. <laughs> That he's just kind of contentedly eating with resigned sort of sense of like, oh, my grand, my daughter's going to kill me. Yeah, my grandkids just, are dead. My grandkids are dead. My daughter's never speaking to me again. Can't let all this ice cream go to waste. I mean, like, when Ellie- What a when wonderful Ellie takes, choice that is. When Ellie tearfully takes a bite of the ice cream and says, this is really good. Yeah. That was definitely one of those moments of food on film where you're like, I want to try the ice cream. Like that, that yeah. does sound, that does look really delicious. And then he's like, we spared no expense. We spared no expense. Of course not. Sure. This is designer ice cream. This is the best. You, you sure you didn't, you didn't pay your, you didn't pay your employees, yeah. but you did buy the really good ice cream. And yeah. I yeah, fully believe that that's how that works. Yes. The desserts, the dessert table, mm. the kids eating, mm. just being like, well, the dessert's here. I guess, you know, we've almost died seven times. We yeah. can have dessert now. It's a whole wait, 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 wait. Who is that spread for? <laughs> they have a for like an entire wedding out and there's like yeah. six of them there. Yeah. yeah, that's who that's for though. I fully believe that they made that kind of absurd dessert spread I for like, no almost offense. like it's like a king's court kind of thing where it's just like, yeah. oh, we just put out, we made absolutely everything and there's one person coming to dinner. Yeah, <laughs> fully, fully was in for that. And I just, I just loved that they, that the kids went for it and how just grotesque amount of food there was. And also there's all of that. And of course they're going to get jello. Lex is like, ooh, I could have all of this. I'm going to get green jello. Yeah, that was the one choice Lex made in this whole movie that I questioned was just like, that's, why are you wasting room on Jello, Lex? <laughs> There's always room for Jello, as they say. There's not when you've got that much food in front of you. So, okay, do we feel prepared to move into the what was this movie really about after our commercial break? I I think we've I've covered all of my points. <laughs> I've like, yelled about all the things. Go on, but we cannot go on. Yeah. All so right. We, yeah. So we will. We're gonna. We're gonna. Um, as you've come to know, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna step away for a moment to tell you about. Folks, 
movies, the good ones, even the bad ones everyone told you not to like, it sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts advocating for the immediate production of a third national treasure, to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for those in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and they ship with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code SUPERFRIEND, that's all caps, no spaces, SUPERFRIEND, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. That's spelled S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I.com. Let's watch more movies. Yeah, I am waiting for that uh, redrop of either leftovers or, or restock from the Space Wizards release because I want to get me a Laura Dern shirt. So. Yes, very, very good to get a Laura Dern shirt, especially to represent all of her achievements in cinema, especially while wearing denim on denim. <laughs> so then we now arrive at the crucial segment of the podcast. What was this movie really about? So what, uh, Amanda, Dustin, who wants to start with what was this movie really about? Jurassic Park. Dinosaur. Dinosaur. Dinosaurs. Final answer. Amanda, I want to hear what you have to say first, Amanda. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, so I actually think this is a film about, um, it's tough because there's a lot of different ways you can go. You can go with the whole capitalism thing. Uh, when when Malcolm really breaks down, like, exact, I'll tell you the problem with the, sci- here, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power you're using here. It didn't require any discipline to attain it. You read what others had done and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. Um, That, I think, actually encapsulates for me what this movie is really about, which is that essentially how the ultra-wealthy profit off of the work of others, particularly off of the work of science, and claim it as their own. Um, I'm going to mention somebody whose name rhymes with um, Melon Busk. Oh, okay. It'd be, it'd be more like a Milan. Milan yes. Musk, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Milan Musk, who um, everyone says is a genius, but he just invests really well and then takes technology that he doesn't necessarily know what to do with mm-hmm. and he capitalizes on it and finds way to monetize it while also paying his employees shit and yeah. like his lower level employees. Obviously, he pays some engineers very well but and doesn't necessarily have things in the most ethical conditions. Sure. And that can lead to, say, when there is a pandemic happening, mm-hmm. um, that person deciding that their work is more important than the safety of others mm-hmm. and that they aren't going to shut down their facility in the meantime. So I think for me what this is really about is the way that capitalism can exploit science. Yes. Um, see it from the beginning with John Hammond enticing Alan and Ellie with the promise of funding their research for years. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a movie about how capitalism can exploit science and how science needs to be treated with more reverence than that. And uh, also you need to pay your employees better and allow them to unionize. Yeah. Unionize. Unionize. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's my, that's what it's about for me with a, with a minor aspect of it of uh, it's about fertility anxiety. Wow. Fertility. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Ian has three kids 
Ellie wants like That's he has right. three kids with different women. He's spreading his seed everywhere. Yeah. Ian, uh, Ellie wants Ellie wants kids. Doctor Grant is doesn't want kids. Uh-huh. The dinosaurs want kids so badly that they find a way to do it. Yeah, that they evolve rapidly. And they evolve to to have kids. I think that there is a subset of this movie that is also in addition to capitalism. It's about fertility and anxiety surrounding it. And and, oh, and Dr. Hammond. Grant ends up with basically adopted children at the end. And and John Hammond is so obsessed with his legacy that yeah. he creates a bunch of uh, neutered dinosaur children to live yeah. on an island world. They are his surrogate children. He wants to be the first. He wants them to imprint upon him. And so <laughs> yep. that becomes. a Yeah. So I think it's the different ways that people deal with fertility, deal with reproduction and deal with passing on like their genetic legacies this is what so you have disaster girls for so those are my two my two prongs but i think that that's the more minor theme to it uh-huh. um, yeah so that's me that is an undercurrent i hadn't totally thought about <laughs> at all actually yeah Prior to that, but I, I mean you're right you're right you're not wrong um <laughs> for me a lot of it is about like just generally the hubristic nature of of humanity, yeah. um, and yes, the the pull and the push between doing what's right and 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 uh, performing science in a way that's responsible. Then, like we mentioned, with like the capitalistic endeavor, mm-hmm. like I feel like generally speaking, that's how science works. Like you are standing on the shoulders of greatness, right? But generally speaking, you take incremental steps to continue that greatness, and you learn from it, and you build, and you get better and better. Yeah. Anytime there are these huge jumps in technology or science, and by huge jumps, I mean like either temporally or with like respect to how well we're doing or the technology involved, there's always, there's always fears. There's always people being very scared and reticent, or are we playing God? And I think this, this movie is in a lot of ways, like an examination of what happens when you have that jump way forward that no one Mm -hmm. is really expecting. Yes. Now we're in a place and a time that is not fit for our own place and time. Yeah. What happens there? And I think all these themes that we've mentioned, this is probably why this movie is so great. It kind of intertwines all of those themes while doing that, while just Mm -hmm. really looking at ourselves and looking at like, what can we do and what should we do and how quickly should we do it? Who should be responsible? And at the end of the day, this is why this is a great science movie because science is about questions, not about answers. And at the end of this movie, you're left with, at least I'm left with more questions Mm -hmm. than I am with answers. And we have to see some badass fucking dinosaurs. So it's A plus for me. No, I love that. And that's why it's like, it's such an example of what the best of cinema is. Because like, you can just check in and have the best time ever. But then if you just start peeling one thing back and you can just keep peeling and peeling and there's there, you can enjoy this movie forever because there's so much substance to it to continue enjoying. And I, my, what this movie is really about is really going to, is really going to piggyback off of Amanda's extreme objections to why the reboots should exist. Which is that this movie is this movie is about when irresponsible, profit-driven people have the access to something, they will make it bigger, more bloated, and it will result in being something more abusive and scary than it ever needed to be, simply because they are able to, and because it can be a profit center. It doesn't actually matter if they're like. If there wasn't an audience problem at Jurassic World, they still would have made the Indominus because they would have been like, well, what can we what can we get more? Like maybe attendance is great, but how do we get attendance to shatter records? How do we outgrow ourselves? How do we have to how do we get to a point where we can start franchising the park? There isn't actually a limit to avarice. 
And what we see in the form of Jurassic Park is if you have like the this ultimate genetic tool technology put into the hands of someone with enough money, they will almost assuredly, like I would say like 95% of the time conservatively, they will take it to an illogical extreme endpoint that it should never have got to simply because they can. And we cannot expect self-regulation on people with those kinds of resources to do those kinds of things. So Jordan, you think this movie is really about the need for dino regulations? This movie is about the need for federal intervention in environmental (laughs) and species protection and regulation. This movie is about the need for big government. This movie, maybe maybe it's about socialism. I don't know. Haven't worked it through all the way yet, but maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It's rare when one of our movies isn't secretly about the evils of capitalism, the evils of the patriarchy or socialism. It just, it it doesn't happen very often. Jurassic Park with two row, one rows on either side of the park. (laughs) Socialize the citrus, unionize the dinosaur workers. Seize the means of dinosaur reproduction. Seize the means of dinosaur reproduction. They did. They did that themselves. (laughs) Did it. They fucking did it. Now, I mean, does anybody have anything to say on Dreamcasting for this? Because I am not moving a damn thing. Okay. I actually do have a Dreamcast. Okay, great. Okay, to explain, I didn't have one until I I went back and searched through all my old tweets about Jurassic Park and saw (laughs) that I had Dreamcast this like six or eight months ago. So Sam Neill posted a video of himself just like talking into the camera. And at one point he's like, well, what to do? And then he does it like in his his Sam Neill voice. And I was like, oh, he would play Hammond now. Right. Okay. Yeah. If we were doing like a present film, like, yeah, if we were like rebooting this, not like, they're like, Hey, we're taking the script. We're redoing it. Sam Neill plays John Hammond. Mm -hmm. Rosa Um, Salazar plays the Tyrannosaurus Rex. (laughs) I was actually going to have um, Alita battle angel. What was his uh, from, uh, from, from Boar? Oh, Nathan Jones. Yeah. Nathan Jones can play the T-Rex. Yeah. Um, no, but then for the rest of the cast, we've got Chris uh, Chris Pine as Dr. Grant. Ooh, I like that a lot. That's mm-hmm. nice. I see that. He is actually the Hollywood Chris that Chris Pratt thinks he is. <laughs> and that's my thing. He is he is the true heir to Harrison Ford in a way that, because as yeah. watching this time, I was like, holy shit, Sam Neill is doing a Harrison Ford imitation through much of this movie. Mm. But like in a good way, not in a bad yeah. way. So Chris Pine is Dr. Grant. Okay. In my original dream casting, I had Amy Adams as Ellie, um, which makes sense. But I, I actually, actually like that. Yeah, but I would rather have Lupita Nyong'o. Oh, sure. Yeah. Partly mm-hmm. because I just want to see her flirting with both Chris Pine and who I'm going to be casting for Ian Malcolm. <laughs> Ian Malcolm, there's only one logical conclusion. Because this the this generation for the younger ones coming up there, I don't understand why I'm attracted to him, but I am. King is... Uh, Adam Driver. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, I didn't see that coming. That is, I don't immediately disagree with it. it Imagine so Adam Driver. It's so lying, chaotic. I'm in. Adam Driver lying in the back of that Jeep. Going, yeah. Must go faster. Must go faster. Yeah. In his weird yeah. Adam Driver voice. Adam yeah. Driver doing the water droplet test on my hand. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> like that's the thing. It's, it's that same. Like I don't know why I want this, but I want to climb it like <laughs> yeah. tree. Yeah, you I mean, I want know. him to explain chaos to me. So yes. yeah, and he has that same sort of like stammery Jeff Goldblum energy, but it not, and it's yeah. just perfect. And he there's would something be, there's something erratic about him that I think yeah. could really work. And I love the height differential between him and Chris Pine too. <laughs> I think that one. would be super fun. Yeah, is like Chris Pine, who is not a tall man, 
And like him with Lupita, and then you've got Adam Driver just looming over them. Like Adam Driver is the size of a T Rex. Yeah. So it, it just it fully He's a works. Redwood me. of a man. Yeah. And then what I would do is I would keep the rest of the. I would keep. I would bring back Sam Jackson if if allowed. Sure, yeah. Um, if he's mm-hmm. up for it, he'll take mm-hmm. he, he will take a lot of mm-hmm. paychecks. Look, he did snakes mm-hmm. on a plane. He'll come back to do this again. <laughs> BD Wong obviously is more oh, than yeah. BD Wong's yeah. heart. Yeah. Come back. And then you know, we just recently um Wayne Knight played Newman again in a USPS ad. So yep. why wouldn't he come back to play Nedry? Yeah, yeah. he's totally Definitely. down for it. Yeah. So yeah, I would keep this the rest of it all the same, but if I had to update it, that would be my my trinity that's right a, there. I that's I a, like that. I like yeah. all of those choices. I like that. Can I add one suggestion? Yes. Yeah. John Oliver as the lawyer. Yes. <laughs> in the shorts. In the shorts. In the shorts. Oh, yep. Yes. Yeah. That would. Do- I would love to see John Oliver blinking in the ray and looking at a T Rex about to eat him on the toilet. That would. <laughs> that would work extremely. Well. Oh, that would be so good. Yeah. So is there that even he would have less of that like greasy lawyer vibe that this lawyer does, and he would have more of the like harried sort of. He would have Zazu's, extremely British, extremely yeah. British. Lawyer. He would yeah, have yeah. Zazu's ex- exact th- aesthetic from from Lion King, except in human form. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, love. Yeah. Oh, that's genius. Is there even a question as to how many towering infernos this movie gets? No. Out of how many? What What are the options? Uh, out of five. Oh, eight. Yeah. yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like, max it out. Yeah, Max. I, I mean, okay. I, I this is, yeah, this, this, this in Volcano, like, are the foundations of my home. <laughs> <laughs> so that, like, it's a, it's a consensus, it's a consensus five slash eight out of five. Um, that brings us to the, that brings us to our, we, we must wrap up. So shall we, our sign offs, our shout outs. Yeah. So okay. Dustin, well, Dustin, where can we find you? What do you want to promote? Um, yeah. What amazing, amazing thing can people find you on on Friday nights? Tell us a yeah, little bit where like we can find you. Sure. It's actually a uh, great moment for people to know where to find more of you. So every Friday night, um, I do a program via Zoom called Dino 101, um, which Amanda, you earlier described it basically as like drunk history with dinosaurs. Uh, yeah. We, yeah. I mean, every every uh, Friday has a different theme. So we talk about a, either a different group of animals or a different like pop culture phenomena with respect to dinosaurs. And there's a drinking game, there's interactive challenges, there's trivia. It is a ridiculously fun, stupid, scientific drunken romp every Friday night. And it's the most fun thing I do all week. It's, Amanda, I, I, I went to my first guys. one. Yeah. I went to my first one this this last week, um, despite meaning to for like months. And it is so fun, you guys. Everyone draws pictures. Um, <laughs> it's they there's so many dirty, dumb jokes. Yeah. Uh, there's discussions about neck meat. I just it's it's everything. <laughs> yeah. You it will not get through you, you will not make it through a Friday night without us talking about dank neck meat and <laughs> sex lakes. <laughs> so it's through Atlas Obscura. So if you, if you look up Atlas Obscura Dino 101, you'll be able to find it. Strong Excellent. recommend. And then where can we find you on uh socials? Uh on, on Twitter, I'm Dustin Groick, and then on Instagram, of course, I am Dinosaur Whisperer. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Of I'm glad you got that handle. I'm glad no, you got I mean, that yeah, handle. Yeah, it was available and I was like, this is it. Let's go. Yeah, yeah you no, gotta that's, take that that's at that point. Uh, and then Jordan, where can we, I guess, you know, Dustin, if you want to get out of here, you are welcome to, we, <laughs> we, have we to just have to do our little wrap up. We're, uh, we're doing next week. We know what movie we're doing next week, uh, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. We are well, doing. We gotta, we gotta, well, we gotta, I think we should, we'll, we'll figure it out. Dustin, 
please. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us and letting us yell about these things. Wavering back and forth. Before I go, real quick, I have not asked you the question I have to ask everyone. Yes. What is your favorite dinosaur? I, like generally or from this movie? No, no, just generally, your favorite dinosaur. I always liked the Triceratops. Okay. I always liked, I always liked the Triceratops a lot. Good answer. Good answer. It was actually supposed to be Stegosaurus in Jurassic Park. That was supposed really? to be Stegosaurus, yeah. Oh, oh that would have been really cool. Okay. Too. Oh, okay. Plates. That would have been cool. Um, mine is really just super straightforward because uh, it's Utahraptor, Utah Raptor. Because when I was in like fifth grade, I read Raptor Red by Robert T. Backer and got super <laughs> obsessed with them. And maybe with two of my friends, had imaginary pet raptors that we used to pretend to play with at the age of 11 or 12, which is too old to be doing that. That sounds like a best case scenario imaginary friend. Yeah. yeah. That's the only dinosaur I can draw because I trace the cover so many times. I can just draw the profile cover. No. <laughs> so that's fine. My cool. if if I if I'm allowed to weigh in on a favorite dinosaur. Yes, yes. Quick, Jason. Uh I do think that mine would be a T-Rex, but the the version of a T-Rex that has feathers and drags its jaw on the ground. Um What the fuck? The cuz the, there've been I and I I don't know what the accuracy of this is cuz I don't know anything about dinosaurs but like <laughs> I've heard that there are rumors that people think maybe T-Rexes uh walked around with their jaws like on the ground dragging collecting whatever things that they would eat and that's why their arms are so short but I don't know if there's any veracity <laughs> to that. Either way I really Dustin like it. looks Skeptical. Like wait, like, are you like, like, like a shovel sense. sort of just opened its mouth like and a just shovel, like yeah. <laughs> a true just like trawler of the bottom of the ocean yeah yeah, yeah like that makes sense. just a giant because it's got such a giant head it's got such tiny arms and such you know big back legs so it you know it, it, it could easily make a some sort of uh, grazing machine no jason's comic book dinosaur is his favorite dinosaur. <laughs> my my girlfriend anna just ran into the room and started yelling no she doesn't like it at all. Good. <laughs> there it is no. <laughs> Dustin, thank you so much for joining us today and of taking course. the time to talk yeah, about the Jurassic Park. Thank you so much for coming on. Anytime. If we can get Anytime. Amanda to watch Jurassic World specifically to have you back, maybe we, maybe that's the only thing. Right, I, right. I can be convinced, much like much like with any alien movies with the right guest, I can be convinced. And <laughs> this would definitely be one of those times. Okay. All yeah. right. Thank you so Bye. much, Dustin. Of course. Bye guys. Have a great day. So coming up, so that was Dustin. And coming up next week, we've got a whole other movie. Yeah, no, we're, we, 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 we shall return. We shall return. <laughs> and so, yeah. <laughs> so next yeah, week's what, episode is. Yeah, what do we got, Amanda? We've got Polar Storm from 2009. Uh, when a piece of a massive comet, Copernicus, collides with the Earth, it knocks the planet off its axis and unleashes a disaster never before witnessed. Uh, so, I'd like to see you try, Polar Storm. So uh, what we've got with that, that you can find on Tubi. You can find it on Roku. It's on Prime Video. Um, Tubi, who's too big to respond to our tweets. Tubi was running ads on those National League Championship Series uh, broadcasts. So. Yeah. They, the big got, time. They've got some big, they've got some big spending money. So that's where we'll be for next week. And uh, Jordan, where can we find you on the internet in the meantime? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JorCrew, J-O-R-C-R-U, on the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Cruciola, which 
uh, though I have not had a post up this month, I have been making a whole separate podcast called A Simple Podcast that is now the definitive chronicling of the film, uh, uh, you know, sociological chronicling of the film A Simple Favor by Paul Feig. It really, yeah, it's really its own oral history. And uh, we've got a couple episodes left and a couple surprises still left in store for you guys. So do be checking out the podcast because we're having a lot of fun and we've gotten some fucking stars on there. So come listen to us talk to Paul Feig, costume designer Renee Ehrlich-Kalfas, Jessica Scharzer, the screenwriter. It's It's been great. It's been great and it's going to keep me. How about you, Amanda? Uh, so you can find me. I'm Amanda R. Tubbs. That's Tubbs with two Bs on Twitter. Stress tweeting um, about baseball. I'm stressed. This week is going to be a lot of stress tweeting about baseball. The Dodgers are in the World Series. I'm very anxious. But also um, a cool thing that has happened to me in the past week is if you are a sports fan of any kind, I have partnered with a t-shirt company called Breaking Tea and now um, have a couple of Dodger t-shirts that I have <laughs> helped design. Um, as well as I'm now getting referrals. So if you want to like buy your shirts from Breaking Tea, if you go to breakingtea.com backslash Amanda, um, I get a percentage of those purchases. Oh, is it just a slash? Just Amanda. She's got the domain. All right. And that's us for this week. You can find us uh, disaster underscore pod on Twitter. We're disastergirlspod at gmail.com. Please rate, review us. It is huge. It is super helpful. Share it with your friends. Please do these things. Um, Speak the good word of us on the internet. And we'll see you all back next week for Polar Storm. Yes, you guys. Thank you. Bye. That might be cool.com. You never know.